13, love passage. And yet, Paul says, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these things, three things remain. Faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Good morning, everyone. Um, Well, we're going to go from the sublime to the ridiculous um, straight away here. Uh, Up on the screen, um, we're going to start in an unorthodox way. Um, So up on the screen, you will see um, three songs from Sam's most listened to Spotify playlist. (laughs) And uh, what I want you to do is, is match up. The, the band, the artist, and the song word. So, so we've got, on the far right, Whitesnake. Um, not politically, of course, just they happen to... Well, that's your left, isn't it? Whitesnake. Uh, and we've got Hadaway in the middle, and um, Foreigner over there. So I don't know if you can see that. What is love? Where does that... Which, who's that? Hadaway. Hadaway. Yeah. Um, what about Foreigner? And uh, so finally, White Snake. Is this love? Is this love? Yeah, good. You, 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 these are obviously in your most listened to <laughs> list as well. I, I can see. No worries. Now, why oh why have, have I started like this? You might, be, you might well be thinking. Well, I wanted to, to start off to show that, that culturally, we're pretty clueless when it comes to love. What is love? I want to know what love is. Is this love? Uh, If you're going to explain what love is to a five-year-old, maybe lots of you here have had to actually do that, 
is actually a bit more tricky than we first think, isn't it? Um, C.S. Lewis uh, said that the English word love has so much work it needs to do that that it needs to delegate. And that's true, isn't it? We can say, I love Hawaiian pizza or Marmite. And I love my wife, my mum, my children, my friend. It can't possibly mean the same thing, can it? What's going on? Well, we're not the only ones confused about what what love is and isn't. Um, The Christians at Corinth in the church that uh, Paul's writing to, if anyone needed love being spelled out, it's them. Isn't it? That as we've seen in our studies in, in 1 Corinthians so far, some of them are puffed up with pride. There's deep divisions to the extent of, of suing each other. We see thoughtlessness and a lack of compassion. Paul even goes as far as saying they're destroying each other. So this afternoon, this morning, we're going to look at, the, at what Paul has to say to this group of Christians at that time and to see what does it mean for us um, so let me pray as um, as we begin and look at these words together let's pray heavenly father we've thought already this morning in this service of your great love for us thank you that uh, we love because you first loved us thank you that the lord jesus has has shown us what love is and we pray that you would help us as we look at these, at these famous words from Paul. Would you, would you bring them alive to us? Would you help us to be um, sensitive to, to your spirit? We pray that you would bring conviction where we need it and challenge. Uh, and we pray that you would, above all else, you would just show us afresh how great your love for us is. How loved we are. So please help us. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, these, these words in, in chapter 13, as, as Carl said earlier, they're, they're some of the most famous words in the New Testament. Read at countless weddings over the centuries. And it seems like any wedding that's portrayed on TV will have this as the reading for it, isn't it? But I wonder how often the context of this passage in 1 Corinthians is talked about. Because as beautiful as these words are, and and they are beautiful, they're written to a particular group of people at a particular place with a particular purpose from the author. And it's easy to miss all that when when you're just sort of feeling slightly uncomfortable in your suit at some distant relative's wedding service. So what is Paul trying to do in this chapter? Well, those first few verses give us the answer as he sets it up for us. Have a look at verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
My guess is that these verses would have been a bit of a shock for the Corinthians, as the things that Paul lists in these first three verses are the very things that these, these Corinthians prized above all else. In a nutshell, the, the Christians at Corinth saw themselves as spiritual. That meant in, in their way of seeing things, speaking in the tongues of men or of angels, the very language of heaven, that's what spiritual means. Possessing superior knowledge and wisdom and being able to speak prophetically. That's what being spiritual was all about for them. Having supernatural spiritual gifts. That's what being spiritual was all about for them. And it sounds incredibly impressive, doesn't it? But not for Paul. For Paul, their preoccupation with being spiritual and with spiritual gifts and uh, their preoccupation with that and the way they're going about exercising those gifts is, is totally out of whack with the priorities of the gospel and with the character and ethics of the loving life that God has called us to. So in chapter 13, Paul sets out the priority of love, first of all, the character of love, secondly, and thirdly, the permanence of love. So that's what we're going to think about as we go through. So first of all, the priority of love from verses 1 to 3. So what does Paul say in verses 1 to 3? If I can do all these amazing things, but have not love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. I am a resounding gong, he says in verse 1. That's quite an image, isn't it? A resounding gong. Maybe you've stood next to someone whose singing is a bit like a resounding gong. Maybe that's a bit harsh to say in a sermon on on, uh, on love, isn't it? But maybe that you know they, they might be making a noise joyfully, but it's not necessarily a joyful noise for everyone around us. It's it's an image we can sort of really relate to. Just a resounding gong. Wow, that's what Paul says. If you can do all these amazing spiritual things, but have not love, you're just like a resounding, annoying gong. But there's more going on with that image too. A resounding gong was synonymous with, with pagan worship. And Corinth was a city that was full of pagan worship. We've seen that already in, in chapter 8 in all these kind of idol feasts and, and that kind of stuff. So do you see what he's saying to them? You think you're so spiritual, but without love, you're a resounding gong. You're no better than all the pagans around you. You think your wisdom and knowledge makes you spiritually impressive. But without love, you're nothing. You think it's so spiritually impressive to, to give away all your possessions to the poor and endure hardship so that you can boast about it. Without love, you gain nothing from that. What he wants to say right at the start of this chapter is that love is everything. He wants to show the, the priority of love. And to have love, in the kind of poetic way that he's, he's speaking here, he, he doesn't mean to sort of it, something to possess. To have love, in, in what Paul means here, is, is to live it out, to, to, to act lovingly, to act in a loving way. And he's wanting to show them in this chapter the way they're going about 
using their spiritual gifts, exercising their spirituality. They are doing that in a way that is not loving. But it's wider than just their spiritual gifts. It's all aspects of the way that they're functioning as a church in view here. Love is everything, is what he says at the start of this great chapter. Which, which begs the question, what is love? And that's our, our second point. Uh, Paul moves on to the character of love. Have a look at verses 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So notice how he's kind of structured this, these few verses. He starts off with two positive expressions of love. And then we get eight verbs saying what love does not like or does not do. And the last of which has a kind of positive counterpart. And then finally finishes off in verse 7 with these four verbs saying what love always does we're going to go fairly quickly through all of them um, there's so much depth here we could have a whole month of Sundays going through them one at a time but um, but we're going to go through quite quickly you'll be pleased to know so starts off with these two positive expressions of love patient and kind love is patient love is kind notice there's a passive and active response towards others here in these two words patience and kind patience long suffering kindness i guess we know what kindness is when we see it don't we kindness is is such an overlooked virtue in the world and and, and in the church i think there's few single words that encapsulate so well the character of god and his disposition towards us and the, the way he acts towards us in fact both of these these things patience and kindness sum up so well how the lord treats us as his people don't they if we uh, think of of, of and another way to think about kindness or another way we can express kindness at the moment, it could be to open our homes to refugees from Ukraine. A number of us were at a meeting uh, at the start of last week where some folks in Worcester Park got together to think through what would it look like for us to open up our homes to refugees from Ukraine. That's, that's a kind act of love to do. I would really encourage you, if you do have um, space in your house, to, to do that, to, to have a look at the government website um, and see what's involved. So love is patient, love is kind. And then he goes on to this list of things that it's not. And I want you to notice how these map on to what we know of the failures of those in the church at Corinth. So have a look at uh, verses um, 4 to 6 with me. Notice how they map on to what we've seen already from these Christians in Corinth. Does not envy, does not boast, 
It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It's easy to sit here and to tut, wag our fingers at those crazy Corinthians, destroying each other with their factions and their divisions and their pride, even suing each other or tolerating evil. It was a real messed up place at times, I'm sure. But how do we measure up as we look at this list here this morning? Do I dishonour my spouse in the way I talk about them with, with my friends? How would they feel if, I, if they heard how I talked about them? How do I use my humour? Words can build others up or can take people down. Is my humour about making me look good by dishonouring others? Am I getting cheap laughs at others' expense? Do I get angry too quickly with my kids? Do they just seem to have a knack of being able to push my buttons so I go from naught to fuming in two seconds flat? Am I keeping hold of a record of wrongs my parents did to me? Maybe recently, maybe decades back. Do I envy my colleagues at work? The promotions or bonuses that they get that I don't? Well, how about the wrongs my boss has done me? The times I'm overlooked, the times when they take the credit, or the public humiliation they heap out? There's searingly practical questions, aren't they? Incredibly tough situations as, as well. With keeping no record of wrongs, I'm not suggesting here that we ignore abuse or illegal activity. Abuse at home or at work is something we must take profoundly seriously and, and that must be dealt with by police or, or relevant authorities. But what I want us to, to notice here is how countercultural, how counternatural even this list of what love is, the character of love is to us. And I want us to see that as we look at these verses, I want us to see how they are completely others focused. Paul's description of the character of love is not fluffy pink hearts and warm fuzzy feelings. It's marked by selfless, sacrificial, others focused kindness. And that's so different to what the world around says about love. The world around us says, I'll, 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 love, I'll love you as long as you give me what I need. Once that goes, I'm gone. The focus can so often be about me, about my happiness, my needs. That's what trumps everything else, my needs. And it's not that hard to see how relationships where, where two people who are both focused on their own needs is, is going to struggle. What happens when one of those needs aren't being met in that situation? How different when two people in a relationship are, are loving each other, the one 
Corinthians 13 way, not looking to their own needs, but looking first to the needs of the other. The selflessness of Paul's list here is profoundly countercultural and counter-natural as well. But the other way I think it's countercultural is that there's no place for cynicism here. We live in a, in a deeply cynical world. And I see it in myself so much. Maybe the older I get, the more cynical I get. But there's just a purity and a, and a simplicity and a beauty here in these verses. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. These verses are just extraordinary. The, the, the whole section. Can I really encourage you to take some time these, this week to use these verses in, perhaps in a time of confession and prayer. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together shortly. Maybe use these verses uh, during that time to confess the way that you've not lived up to these things. And let's use them in our prayers more generally. As we, as we pray for us and our brothers and sisters in, in our growth, let's, let's use these as, as, as fuel for our prayers when we're not quite sure what we can be praying for. We can always be praying that we would be more like this. So we've thought about the priority of love, the character of love. Thirdly, Paul moves on to the permanence of love. Verses 8 to 13. Have a look at verse 8 onwards with me. Love never fails. Where, are there, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we, we only see a reflection as in, and a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. In this last section, Paul's going big picture. He's wanting to correct the church in, in Corinth and, and, and their preoccupation with spiritual gifts. He started off showing them the priority of love, that love is the most important thing, that they're, they're focusing on things that are not the priority. And he's shown that the ways that they are exercising their gifts and their thinking about gifts is, is contrary to the very character and nature of love. And now finally, he wants to see that their preoccupation with spiritual gifts at the expense of love is wrong because love is permanent. Everything else is not. Love never fails. He's, he's kind of comparing the, the now and the not yet. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge will all pass away, he says. Love never fails. Love is permanent. When we see Jesus face to face in heaven, we won't need our Bibles anymore. 
or supernatural words of prophecy or knowledge. We will see him face to face. We'll, we'll know him fully. We'll know everything fully, even as we are fully known. Isn't that a glorious thought? There's, there's something wonderfully comforting and humbling about these verses at the same time. One day we will know fully. No more wrestling with things that we just can't seem to get our heads around or kind of work out what's this all about. We will know fully one day when we see Jesus face to face. But that day's not today. Today we only know in part. And so there's a humility that should accompany that. So the priority of love, the character of love, the permanence of love. There's big questions for us as, as a whole church from this as well. What, what characterises us as a church? Visitors coming in or, or non-Christians looking in on us. What, what, what do they see? Do we prioritise love? Well, maybe we can think some more about those in, uh, in small groups, in home groups later this week. But finally, having seen these extraordinary verses, how can we love like that is the, is the question. That's, that's certainly in my mind and my heart as we come to this. How can we love like this? In short, we can't not left to our own devices, not, not left to ourselves. We, we cannot love like this by ourselves. But as we've seen already in, in this service, um, 1 John four nineteen, John says, we love because he first loved us. The only way that we can love like this is because God has first poured out his, his love into us in Jesus, the personification of love. And it's only from that security of that eternal love that we can love others unconditionally, selflessly, sacrificially. We love because he first loved us. Notice the order of that. Because he first loved us. It's not about what we have to, to do to try and earn God's love. It's not love if it's earned in some sort of transactional way. There's nothing we can do to lose his love. He loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Those of you who read the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, that's the quote that I love that comes up again and again. He loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I'd recommend you read that, uh, but even if you don't have kids, at least a couple of times a year. Jesus demonstrates this love majestically, doesn't he? Have a look at those verses again, verses 4 to 7, and substitute Jesus, his name, in there. I mean, that's not what, perhaps what Paul intended us to do as we read these things, but I think it's a good exercise anyway. Put Jesus' name in here and, and read them. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. 
He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrong. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Isn't that a glorious description of our saviour? And he demonstrated his love once and for all for, all for us on the cross that first Easter. And Paul, writing in another letter in, in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 4, says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's so stark in, in Ephesians there. Even when we were dead in our, in our sins, even when we were enemies of God, yet because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our sins because of Jesus' incredible, incredible love for us. Uh, yesterday afternoon I watched... Um, the film Iron Giant with my kids. I don't know if you guys have seen the Iron Giant. It's a classic. It should have done much better at the box office than it actually did. But anyway, brilliant. I'm going to give you the, the ending now. So um, sorry about that. Spoiler alert. But um, this Iron Giant, 100 foot tall robot, comes from outer space, befriends a small boy. And uh, the army are anxious about this giant robot from outer space perhaps understandably but um, he's, he's good and they are unleashing all of their firepower to try and destroy this boy's friend uh, and it's not good enough so it's just the cannons and the machine guns just not able to do anything so they, they fire the big bomb from a submarine that's, that's to take him out but the trouble is it's going to wipe out the whole town and all of them at the same time. It's too late. The missile's gone up. So the Iron Giant um, flies up, intercepts the missile, takes it up to space and is blown to pieces by it. Gives his life to save his enemies. That's what God did. That's what Rosie said to me as we watched that. Oh, yes, that is, that's exactly right. That is what God did. That's what our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, did. Gave his life because of his incredible love for us, his enemies. And that's the kind of love that can transform us so that we can love in this way too. Well, let me read some verses from Philippians as we close as we pray together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.